0: Okay, so let us start. So this week we'll talk about the disconnection between data folks and the management and how to bre- bridge this gap between between the, the, the two. And we have a special guest today, Lior. Lior has experience of over 12 years in building data teams, leveraging data for growth, and he learned a lot from that. He experienced a lot of pains and he even has written a book about this. And he also hosts a podcast. Uh, The podcast has a name, What the Data, and uh, I, full disclosure, I was a guest on this podcast once, so go and check it out. So welcome to our event.
1: I I am so happy to be here. Actually, I think that one of my my happiest moments is when I'm talking to data scientists and data engineers, and I was like, yes, we can do so so many cool things together, Uh, so I'm happy to be here.
0: Yes, uh, welcome. So before we go into our main topic um, of communicating with business, let's talk a bit about your background, because well, I know with 12 years of experience, you probably saw a lot of things. So can you tell us a bit about your career journey so far?
1: So I'm a dinosaur, as, as we call it. I started my data career even before there was a uh, any Google Analytics or any idea of Google Analytics on board, we used very simple uh, anal- analytics tools that were installed locally by us. Uh, and then uh, in the last couple of years, I was working for Zalando. Uh, and there, basically, I done the entire transformation of the data uh, for the marketing department. was working for Lavoo, a dating app to the ones who don't know it. A quite cool uh, company. Uh, And they're also kind of a project manager, product manager to help constructing data. Uh, And now, lately, I am running the podcast Water Data, where I'm interviewing quite a lot of uh, data and business people and trying to actually bridge the communication between these two functions to actually drive or leverage the data for growth. Uh, And then also, I'm managing director of Telebau Data, which basically is a company that we started as an agency. Now we're moving more towards a product uh, approach uh, that helping companies to set up their data infrastructure in a quick way, so they can focus on hiring good data engineers and not being under pressure to run around.
0: Mm-hmm. So, thanks. So your profile, uh, I checked your LinkedIn profile, and it says that your position, your title now is a data strategist, and which makes me wonder, what uh, does a data strategist do?
1: So as I see, data strategist is the person who sits between the data engineering, the data science and the business and trying to find the right approach to use the data. So one of the biggest uh, uh, pains that I suffered as a product manager for data for a very long time was that I need a dashboard. I need it now. I need it tomorrow. Ah, the calculation is wrong. I don't trust it. It's supposed to be eight. Why is it four? And what a data strategist, as I see it, needs to do, it needs to balance between the two uh, functions of the tech and the business and ensure that both of them actually speak in the right language. And on the, second, on the second part, they also have the right strategy. So they're actually understanding when we're talking about installs, what do we mean when we're saying install? What do we mean when we're talking about session? And when we're running a, a model for forecasting, for example, revenues, how is it being calculated? So the business not gonna go into the details of, is it a random forest or a linear calculation or They will ask, but they're not really understanding what stands behind it. What they care about is how accurate it is. And this is where you need to come in and actually make sure that the understanding level is correct between everybody. And there is also a trust to the data because, because I think a lot of business people don't trust the data, and this is something I always I always suffered from. It's like no, it cannot be. The data is correct. Check it again. I'm missing something here, and and this is this is where data strategist actually should come in, and support organization in understanding better how to use it.
0: Mm-hmm. So as understood, uh, you have uh, so you do two things. So one, you're the bridge between. Uh, the technical people and the business people, right? So you help Mm -hmm. communicate. So you help translate, uh, um, translate, I don't know, the requirements maybe uh, and develop trust for business. So business people don't uh, trust in data and you help them to to have this trust. So you help, you, you help, you help them understand what's going on behind the hood. And then at the same time, you also probably do the it, the other way around. You help uh, the technical uh, people to understand what business wants from them, right?
1: Yeah. So I like to say that I'm the idiot in the room that asking all the idiotic questions that everybody else are afraid to ask. That, mm-hmm. That's how I, I see it myself at the end if I need to sum it up.
0: And you also, you... As I understood, you you are coming from the product management background, right? So you are more from the business side coming into tech rather than from tech to the business side, right?
1: So actually, I started my way in the tech. I was Uh uh, in the path of being a developer. Then I decided that uh, life too short for me to sit down and debug code. Uh, (laughs) I think this was one of my biggest frustrations always. Uh, And then I moved more towards the product but I'm still coding. So I'm still writing Python. I'm still, although I know SQL is not a code, but I'm still writing SQL queries. I'm still running R queries, sometimes using R for different parts. Uh, So I'm still connected to the code, but I'm I'm trying not to develop because I know I'm embedding it, but I also understand enough code to be able to actually translate it into something that people can understand, or I can at least look at it and see what's going on in there.
0: So, You basically have a background of a technical person. You also have a background of a product manager, which puts you in this unique position of being able to understand both, speak the same language to, like, not the same language, but uh, uh, be able to translate from one world to another, from one uh, function to another. And uh, from your point of view, how can we improve communication between... Between the technical side and the business side, what are the things we can do to to make it better, smoother?
1: So, you know, one of of the the most idiotic things that I noticed that improving uh, communication is when something goes wrong with the data or with the formula, a small email that being sent out and saying, guys, don't use it. We're checking what went wrong. And even if it was triggered automatically, so to try to trigger it automatically before people even starting using the data. Uh, in today's world, we're trying to finish processes before people arrive to the office. Also, we don't have any office any, anymore. Uh, we're all uh, sitting at home, but we're trying to make it available for people from, let's say, from around 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., whatever you're setting it up. And people are expecting to have the data at this point. And one of the key components here, and especially when we're talking about creating trust is to trigger this small email that's saying everything was working fine. You can use the data, or there was an issue. Don't use the data because it may cause you to make the wrong decisions. And once somebody starting to suspect your data, you lost this trust and to buy it again, will take you long, long time, longer than what you even expect. It just creating more frustration. It just causing more backlogs on, on you as a, as a developer. And in the, in the long run, you're just going to find yourself running into an issue of they don't trust me. I still do my job. I'm frustrated. Oops, sorry. I'm, I'm frustrated <laughs> for my job. And, and basically, it, it, you also the data scientists and all the data data engineer becoming very frustrated. It's something I noticed. And I, I wasn't aware of it. Because for me, at the beginning, when I started, it was like, okay, there is a request. You need to make it happen. I don't care how it happens. It needs to happen. But very quickly, I realized that a lot of these requests are coming actually from frustration from the business person who is transferring it now to the technical guy who could have solved it just by sending an email saying, listen, dude, I checked the data. Everything is looking good. If you have complaints, we can check it. But there is no reason for you because I did the QA for you. I checked that the data is correct and is to the best of my knowledge. If you spotted something, I will be more than happy to do to have a conversation about it, and it's going to reduce sixty percent of the of the wasting of the time back mm-hmm. and forth between the the tech and the business in many cases. Mm-hmm.
0: So the main uh, the main thing here is uh, building trust. So business people need to have trust in the work of data engineer, data analysts, uh, data scientists. and one of the ways of doing this is be upfront, be transparent. If something happens. Just inform immediately, right? Hey, exactly. our job failed. So today expect some inconsistency in the, in the data. We're working on fixing this. Uh, Sorry exactly. about that, right? Yeah. Um,
1: it, hey. think, about, think about something else. So you have a forecast model that you're running on a database, mm-hmm. right? That's supposed to forecast revenues. Uh, let's say that you need to forecast 30 days ahead or even 360 days ahead. And if you showing a certain number there, and the people don't trust the number you give them, how can you make them trust it? So either you're creating some graph that showing them what is your confidence level in the information, or either you telling them this is based on the most accurate data I have right now. And this is, this is what I'm, I'm predicting, because for example, in many cases, uh, when I worked on forecasting models, suddenly a model was crashing. It used to be very stable on a certain level and then one day it crashed. And yes, sometimes marketing have changed, for example, their campaigns or stopped them, and the entire model went to, to, go to the garbage because he was counting on a certain uh, traffic that's going to happen. In some other cases, it's just that the model is not relevant anymore because somehow the users that arrived completely changed the picture of how he's uh, observing the operation, or some features were changing and they are not relevant anymore, they're not available anymore. And this is the way for the, the data scientist to create a small dashboard even and put it somewhere. So whenever people are suspecting that the number is wrong, they can go there, they can QA it quickly and see immediately if there is a problem or not. And, and this is really small stuff that mm-hmm. will take us half an hour, one hour, two hours to do. And it can increase the trust of people in, in terms like hugely just because they have access now to the data, to the backend and they know how the calculation going. And they will be able to themselves already see if something went wrong or not. Your job is to build the model, but also to it in certain way. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so one, uh, so we, you mentioned that to build good communication, we need to, to build trust. And then uh, building trust is informing and uh, being transparent. And the second thing is uh, just showing Um, let's say, even these small things like confidence intervals and our predictions, right, these things. So uh, being upfront that our model might be wrong and these are potential, you know, boundaries and all that. Um, So is there something else that we should do to... uh, Because I think for good communication, there should be somebody who can speak uh, the language. So in addition to tools, in addition to all this alerting, we need to have somebody who who can do this uh you can call it the data strategist or um i think usually it can be like maybe a product manager who maybe was previously somebody technical or maybe a data scientist who is going more the product side but somebody needs to play this translator role right Uh, not
1: not necessarily not necessarily no you can have this translator in the middle, but. You as, a, as a, somebody who's touching the data and basically most of us or most of the data engineer, data scientists looking at themselves as a enabler's functions. I'm just enabling somebody to do his job so he can do something better. The reality is that without you understanding what the product manager or what the uh, marketing or what the finance team or, or, or any other team out there wants to achieve, you won't be able to do your job as good as you want it to be. And I think that uh, one of the things that I noticed many times is that the communication is always going either above somebody's head or it's going around it and we're trying to avoid because I'm talking tech and I will explain the tech side and he's talking business, he's going to explain the business side. But this is not true. And one of the things that I actually created uh, in many cases uh, when I was working with data people is I put the data people, the data engineers, the analysts, or the, the even the, the data scientists to sit with the business for a day or two, so they can see what they are doing. And if you're looking at tra- transparency in in how you're writing the code and how you're creating it, notifying people, it's a great thing that saves a lot of time for everybody and increase the trust. QAing the data is a great thing that also creating an advantage, but also sitting with the people that are gonna use your data at the end and understand their problems and what they do, gonna help you to actually communicate with them better because then you can tell them, listen, I was sitting with you. I saw that you're doing X, Y, and Z, and this is why I changed actually my process to adapt it better to what you do. Or maybe this is something wrong, let's try to do a different approach. And it doesn't always to go through a third party or gonna manage everybody. There is a, a one function as I see it, that is a growth function, that is built with the tech side and the business side, and both of them should enrich each other and give them basically the ability to grow and, and learn new stuff. The business can come with new ideas of automation or how to improve the models, the, the data side should come to the business and tell them, listen, I see that you're doing this in these operations usually, why don't we change it? Why don't we do it better? So for example, the most stupid thing that I, I, I saw was uh, somebody was having five to six clicks to, to change his bidding on, mm-hmm. on a certain platform. And the data engineer who was sitting with them was like, hold on, but why do you do this? I can, I, there is an API, I can write it for you. I can do you a front end. It's gonna take me maybe a week to build something for you, an MVP. And you don't need to do all of these clicks around and you just can optimize it from one place. And it came only from the fact that they were sitting one next to each other and communicated on a level that I showed you what I'm doing and I will show you what I can do for you afterwards.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which which I can totally relate as a data scientist. I remember that once uh, I worked in a team that was uh, creating tools for moderators. So moderators are people who look at... uh, in, our, in my case, I, I work at OLix So this is a company where you can sell things. And there are people who actually look at the content that users produce, uh, at the listings that people produce, uh, and they see, okay, this is something that shouldn't go live on the platform. And they reject, they, they, they remove it from the platform. And we were building uh, things for, for these moderators. And I remember, for me, the most uh, enlightening uh, experience was actually talking to, to the moderators, sitting, uh, watching them, how they work, uh, working with them together and actually using the system uh, together with them to, to moderate content. So just sitting with the, the users, with the, the, with those people who are going to consume the data products, consume the, the machine learning services. I think this is, uh, I can totally agree that it's it brings the understanding on the next level. And it also this experience that you see the firsthand what kind of problems they have. Uh, like it gives you a different perspective, right?
1: Yeah. And to remember, data is not an enabling function. It's a leading function. At the end of the day, without having the right data, having the right uh, outcome of the data, nobody will be able to do anything. It's not only enabling, it's also growing. It's also part of the growth of the organization. and. making the organization much stronger even if you're working so for example for me i was working as a as a freelancer for a while for cisco in the recruitment team and one of the most important parts for the recruitment team was actually the recruitment uh, process and to analyze it and to understand which positions actually we have issues or not or which position can be approved with the candidates or maybe we are missing something that we don't see today and you can only drive this stuff when you're sitting with the recruiter together and you're understanding how he's working and the same thing goes to the marketing and the same thing goes to every place and a lot of these recruiters are also frustrated many times from their job because there is a hiring manager that's stuck in the process and maybe you can actually create some panel or some dashboard for them that they can go and say okay you're stuck in my process let's see how we can move faster how we can improve the process and actually bring better candidates. Or if candidates feeling that they are suffering, how can you actually improve it? And I think that this is one of the points that only by sitting together and combining forces, you can actually drive Mm -hmm. this this growth.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, then I was just thinking about the example you gave, like when somebody was taking six clicks and the data engineer approached and said, hey, we can make it easier for you. But I imagine that there are some cases when the data engineer would have a pushback, uh, like maybe in cases when there is not enough trust between uh, between the technical part and the business part yet. Uh, uh, when they think, okay, this is some uh, I don't know uh, somebody coming from outside who's uh, telling us how to do things. Uh, like, no, we will keep doing things the old way. So how how to deal with this sort of pushbacks? Like uh, when you say, "Hey, I want to help you do your job better," but uh, yeah, so not everyone uh, gets immediately excited about this idea.
1: Go to the juniors. No, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh, uh, one one of the key things that I I was encouraging people is actually to go into uh, either to do it on the hackathons then. Mm-hmm uh and use a hackathon as an opportunity to actually present it to a a larger crowd uh the other part is that if you think that this is something that's really not going to take you that long work on it as a side hustle uh, when you have some free time and then present it and tell them like you can keep doing your own stuff there Mm -hmm. but let's try let's let's give this one a try for a week or week and a half and see what happens if you trust enough that what you constructed and what you created is actually something that's going to serve them to the better and you're going to give it to them and tell them, like, let's try for a week. What can go wrong, right? Nothing can go wrong if you're going to try it for a week. There is no chance that they're going to push it back. Uh, and I think, yes, there is a lot of pushbacks uh, for tech people. No, don't do that. I have a I have a bigger strategy uh, that I need you to, to work on. But... Right now, I see that there is a problem that I can solve you quite quickly. So why don't you let me work on it for a week? So we're going to have a sit back of a week. And a lot of companies that work in, for example, with OKRs and stuff like this. OK, so you're going to reach out to 0.5 instead of 0.7 because you had an extra week uh, working on something else. But it saved you. The amount of time that it saved you, this is what actually counting at the end of the day. If you're thinking about an organization that have 14 people that all their job is just to download reports from different uh, platforms and then do copy paste of them into Excel sheet. This doesn't make any sense, right? It's a waste of time. It's 14 employees that working an entire month or half of the month just on downloading data. No organization gonna come and tell you like, you know what, No, that's that's a stupid idea to automate it. Why would we do it? On the contrary, organization wants to automate this process so these employees can actually do their actual job, which is not sitting there and download reporting, but actually going over the data, make the right decision, change the biddies, change the right, uh, uh, the right approach for, for the growth. So if it's, for example, removing items or adding items to the shop, this is what their job is. Their job is not to download the data and just copy paste it into Excel. And this is where we're coming into the picture and we should push quite hard and find out a right way to actually uh, uh, present stuff. But we also need to think always in a lean way, in an MVP way, uh, which this is another point that I will add here. Don't get complicated with stuff. Don't go into development now of three months or six months for a product, because in the industry that we're working in, sometimes three or six months means the end cycle of a of feature of a product. Maybe by the time you're gonna finish it, it's not gonna be relevant. So you need to think about what can I achieve in a week or a week and a half or maximum two weeks, and I can release it outside and showcase what it's used to. And then on top of it, start building it. So start with a lean approach, and then if it's catching, move into an agile approach. And again, this is this is what I, I, I always hate like using these OKRs or lean or agile because there is no one, one system that fits everybody. But we need to think about it. As a cycle, you're starting with a lean, you move into an agile. After you have agile for a while, you can move into OKRs because it's already more stable and it's more built. More and I look at it like a plant. When I'm starting seeding, for example, my tomatoes to put in the garden, I'm starting it from a seed and it's slowly growing and I need to move it into a new pot. And then when it's in this pot, I need to let it grow there and I need to move it to another pot. And only in, I'm starting it in February and only in May, June, I'm gonna put it into the ground and it's gonna catch with the roots into the soil itself. But until I'm arriving to this point, I need to have different approaches to the plant, right? When I'm sitting it, I need to make sure it's dark and moist for him. It. When it's opening up and the leaves are coming out, I already need to change my approach and start growing it in a different way. And and this is also when I'm talking about humus. In my book, I'm talking exactly about that. Humus is so simple, it's just chickpeas. Tejina, lemon, a little bit of salt, and garlic, and that's it. There is no magic behind it. It's so simple and so fast, and this is how data should be. This is how people should actually think about their their approach to data. It should be simple, but it's filling you up so much that you don't want to eat anything else afterwards. It's that simple.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it makes any sense for me to ask, what's your favorite uh, food? Because I think
1: it's clear. <laughs> I will go with hummus, most likely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I thought so. <laughs> yes, uh, we will talk a bit about humus and your book uh, later, but um, I-, I like the metaphor you had like about uh, the gardening in a plant. Um, I'm wondering what could be the right... Uh, how can we find the right balance between uh, complexity and simplicity? Like... Uh, because I understand that this development MVP have this hackathon, create something quick and dirty that just to to prove value. But then at some point it becomes a project that needs to be maintained. And if uh, I, as a data scientist, hack something together, then any sane engineer would look at this and say, "Eh, I don't want to touch this code, right? But on the other hand, uh, maybe this is something that I hacked in a week that works. It's far from ideal but it doesn't fail all the time uh so how how do we find the the balance between you know this moving fast um and doing things maybe simple versus something complex like uh, how do we make sure that we're uh you know not doing too much but doing right enough just enough
1: so if if we're looking at it it's really it's it should be very very simple at the beginning and yes it's going to be bad it's not going to be beautiful Code will never be beautiful. Uh, and this is why I stopped coding as well, because at some point I realized that my code is so horrible, people didn't want to deal with it. And I, don't want, I didn't want to have this feeling of, oh, shit, I did a really, really bad job. I, w- I, to make it, I want to make it much nicer. And you start with something ugly. You see that it works. If it works, then you're creating this approach of somebody taking over, fixing the code, building it up, creating the system of how we're going to grow it. So what is the end goal of it? And, and how it's going to become a better uh, process for us in the future. And I think that this is basically the points that are most relevant for us. Take it the ugly as much as it is, Check that it's actually working. And you know, you know what? And, and, and I know that a lot of people say, ah, yeah, you, you're talking about, about tech and needs to work. It's going the same thing for the business. If business wants to have a dashboard or they want to have some calculation being done, they need to do it on an Excel sheet and run with it for several times. And I am, I am my, point, my philosophy is kill Excel. There is no use of Excel. But there are certain cases when you want to start something. And even if the tech don't trust it, you need to start it on an Excel sheet, show that it's actually working and you're actually using it, and only then send it up for development. And it goes both sides on the code, bad, disgusting code at the beginning, you're making better, or you're starting with an Excel sheet. Horrible. I will kill somebody if I'm going to see him using Excel, but I have to accept it. And then it's going to move into automation. We need to convince each other and show them that actually there is a purpose and there is a use for what we do. And this is the only approach for us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I understood, uh, having uh, ugly code is fine. If we know that it's going to be rewritten. And then even before that, even before having any code, try simpler things, try Excel uh try to see that uh, the idea you have like maybe try to solve the problem without any code at all at first and see Correct. if it's valuable if it's valid uh i think i heard this expression uh do things that don't scale first and then try to automate them right so maybe this yeah. is yeah uh, you know, but other thing i am also i'm also wondering and this is also it's uh, something i experienced in the past um so you said, okay, there is some ugly code. Yes, and then somebody will take this over and make it better. But how do con- to convince somebody to take this over? Uh, because uh, I usually have problems with uh, with that. Like how do I convince that, uh, okay, this is my code. I know it's ugly, I know it's bad, but it's also a problem. How do we convince people to actually take this over and uh, you know make it better?
1: Look look at your code and look at it as an Excel sheet at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It will go to the garbage because we're going to automate it. You wrote the code just to prove a point. The the point was proven. There is now a use case for it. There is a business uh, that's standing behind it that can actually push for it. Then start rebuilding it from scratch or take the old code and try to improve it. But... Don't, also, don't get insulted if somebody tells you, okay, listen, I don't like your code. I want to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. It's completely fine. He's taking ownership. And at the end of the day, when he own it, it's his responsibility to make sure that the code is looking better. And it's his responsibility to also understand and being able to explain to others what is he doing. Uh, and, and this is, again, something that uh, I learned quite heavily when I'm running now my company. So we're using a lot of uh, external resources for different uh, parts of our code. We cannot always run all over it and ensure that uh, we can cover everything. And sometimes this code is not the best, but at least it's doing the function, it's, it's creating the idea, it's creating the concept and the demand. And then from there, we're gonna take it and we're gonna streamline it. We're gonna fix it. we're going to We're gonna create something that can be used in the future, hmm. but we need to start somewhere. And then from the moment that there is a clear use case and an ownership, everything can run smoothly. And I think nobody going to come and tell you like, nah, I don't think that uh, there is, I want to, to use this tool. If there is a use case, this is the reason why you're developing code. You're not developing code just to, to say, yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm writing uh, Python. No, you're sitting here because you want to solve a problem that's going to help your company to grow. And this is exactly the reason why you're there. This is exactly the reason why you should take this now and start working on it and fix it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, basically don't get attached to the to the code. So if I yeah. wrote my code and somebody says, eh, then yeah, just don't get attached to this, right? So they, if somebody wants to rewrite uh, and it's reasonable uh, time frame, right? So it's, it doesn't take, uh, it doesn't, it's not going to take six months. Then it's fine, right?
1: you know how many times people were telling me that something I was doing looked disgusting? So I was, for example, uh, in in many, many times, I used to be the first one to build dashboards. My color picking is horrible, okay? Let's let's put it this way. Uh, When I was 18 years old, I was requested to do some presentation for somebody, and the only reaction that I received was, the colors you picked were the most horrible colors I ever seen in my life. And I don't know how somebody can survive with such a color a color pattern. And I, and I didn't care. And I told him like, it doesn't matter. Did you understand the message I tried to transfer to you through the presentation? And he was like, yes. And I was like, great. So now you can take it. You can create the right color schema for that. You can add whatever images you want and cut them whatever way you want. The, the most important part is that the message and the, the use case here were transferred. And, and I think that this this is life this is life at the end of the day and since then every time I'm building a dashboard, I know already it's not gonna be beautiful somebody gonna come and make it much more beautiful than what I do and I accept it I accept it i don't I don't fight against it
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. that's uh i I was again going back to this ugly code and when we move, 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 move it fast so it creates uh a reaction from engineers, okay, this is is a bad code, we want to rewrite. But uh, the other thing it might create, it might cause business to think that this speed is the usual speed. So this is the speed you can expect things to happen in the future, right? So next time the new thing, the new feature added to this uh, raw prototype, it will also be added in a week. It will also be added, uh, I don't know, uh, after a couple of days. So I think it creates this uh, false sense of, uh, uh, you know, moving very fast. So do you have some tips how to handle expectations from, from business when it comes to, you know, MVP versus uh, development?
1: Uh, so uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I'm, I'm talking about a lot is, is hummus. <laughs> and hummus okay. you can do it in, in, the, in the quick way or you can do it in the slow way. The quick way, you're just going to go and buy uh, chickpeas in a can. You're going to wash them a little bit, ground them, add some tahina, and here you go, you have hummus. And it's hummus. I'm not going to fight with you. It's hummus. At the end of the day, you have chickpeas, you have tahina, you have the the basic ingredients, and it's great. But is it actually the taste you were after? No. If you really want to get this taste, you will need to... Soak the chickpeas for 24 hours. You will need to cook them for two to three hours until they're getting soft. You will need to grind them. You will need to cool them down. You will need to mix them with tahina. There is a large, large, large process. And what I'm always explaining is that, yes, this one is my hummus from, from, from a can. This is just to give you a taste of what hummus can be. Now let's move and work on the hummus itself. And if I'm going outside of this metaphor of hummus, the reality is that yes, the beginning is always fast because you're doing the minimal things that you need to do. But now every feature that you will need to develop on top of it, gonna take time. It's gonna take much more thinking because hold on. Now we made sure that it's relevant and it's needed and required. Now let's figure out actually how we are making it not only needed and required, but also used and loved. And this is two different stories. It's a chickpeas from a can A chickpeas cook yourself. They will have two different tastes. It's going to be completely different. And this is exactly how I'm looking at at development of code.
0: I know what I will use next time when I explain why it's (laughs) taking so long. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, great.
0: I was also, I wanted to ask you a bit. I, I, I really love the metaphor. I even forgot what I wanted to talk about. So I think I wanted to also cover um, talking to people who do not uh, know how to code, right? Um, so let's say, again, we're talking to business, but they don't always understand the effort you put. So maybe they don't care between the difference between you know this fast hummus and uh, uh, proper hummus. So because they don't see all these intricacies, they are not into hummus, they are they, not into coding. So how do you talk to people uh, who don't understand all these complexities about uh, coding? Uh, how, how to structure the conversation uh, with them?
1: So so if they don't understand coding, and this is a lot of people don't understand coding, and To be honest, I I think I'm very lucky that I had the chance to actually sit down and understand how to write code and how to work with it. Uh, But uh, if we're looking at how we're creating basically a process that is meaningful, it's to go and sit down with the people who don't understand code and explain to them why you're doing what you do and why is it taking time. And speak to them in their language that they're gonna understand. But on the other side, also show them your code explain to them, bring them into your process, explain to them there is a certain way of how I'm working. so there is the definition of done, but this is how my code look like, and when you see, for example that you committed for something that's going to take you two weeks, and you don't think you can make it in two weeks, come early enough to them and tell them like, listen guys, I have this, this, and this right now that's disturbing me, I have this issue that don't allow me to keep developing, and I won't be able to, I won't be able to to deliver it on time. They can understand it. And not only that, you know what? I had a very, very uh, non-technical director I was working with uh, and every time he got, he saw a code, he started to have a rush. He couldn't sit in the room anymore once he saw the code. But when a developer came to him and told him like, listen, I'm blocked because X and Y, you could have seen him sitting there not, av- not understanding one line of code and asking questions in a very structured way of, okay, why doesn't it work? What are the issues? Where is it blocked? What can I do to actually help you? And then go and uh, back then it was, uh, he was calling to Facebook to talk to them about an issue that the developer had with an API. And it just because he had the right connection and he knew exactly the right people to reach out to. And, and sometimes this can create this, Good communication also between the business and the tech. Even if it doesn't understand code, you're going to understand problems. You're going to understand brokers. You understand why this is not going to be ready by time. And this, I think, what is important to actually make sure that we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so again, uh, back to the point we discussed at the beginning is just sitting together, uh, trying to build trust, trying to show, uh, trying to learn from each other. Like I, as a data scientist, I am willing to learn from... Uh, from you, I want to see what kind of problems you have, and then if I am a business person, I am willing to learn what kind of problems the data scientist has, right, uh, or data engineer. And then exactly. if we do that, if we sit together and try to understand uh, what's on our mind, what's on the mind of uh, you know the opposite uh, sort of not opposite but. Uh, like for, for business to understand tech, for tech to understand business, uh, what kind of problems we have, then it will develop this sort of trust. It will develop this sort of connection. It will develop deeper understanding of uh, problems we have. right? And then, uh, then we will not need to explain why last time it took one hour to prepare something, but now it takes one, one month, right? Because we can show them these are the processes, this is what we need to do, this is the, the kind of code we need to write and they will believe us because there is trust between us, right?
1: Break down the silos. So for example, one of the things that I really loved when I worked at uh, Lavoo and also when I worked for Zalando and also when I worked at Cisco, it, there were no silos between the different functions. So if I'm developing something in code or when I am uh, need to deliver some dashboard, I am gonna sit down with my consumers together and we're going to have conversations together. We're going to go for lunch together. And, and it sounds a little bit stupid, but it's working because suddenly you have a common language because you have a common goal together to do. And, and when you don't have these silos of, okay, I'm sitting there, I'm in the BI team and I'm sitting in my corner, you, all the time it's happening, it will never you will never have a good communication. Once you're going to go down from your, I'm sitting in my uh, corner, And I'm going now sitting with the marketing for one day and I'm joining their chats and I'm listening to what they're talking about. Now, when we're working from home, for example, one of the key components is actually to join or ask to join to their chats. So you can see what they're talking about, what is concerning them and find your connection points to them through that. And when you are working on something that is managed by them or needs to be delivered to them, try to also, share it on their channels, not only in the BI channels. Great, we finished the sprint, we release it. No, go to the marketing or go to the finance and tell them, hey guys, I finished it. I would love to get the feedback before I'm announcing it to my team. Mm-hmm. Think how it's changing suddenly the way that they're looking at you because you came to them before you even went to your team because you want to get their feedback. So you can actually release something you develop for them. It's showing them also that you value their feedback, and you value their, their communication. And it's changing the game completely in many cases.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah now it's a bit uh, more difficult to, to have these lunches uh, together. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I remember at some point we had this uh, uh, donut in Slack. This is like an app that uh, randomly connects people. Uh, And oftentimes what happened uh, was that I am connected with somebody from marketing or advertisement or some other department that I usually uh, don't interact with. But they still, they use data science uh, products in their work. And then having this conversation with them, understanding what kind of things they worry about, uh, even if it's remotely connected to my work, it develops this, i don't know what's the right word empathy understanding what they do empathy but, uh,
1: and deep thinking as well yeah. right because you it's, it's sitting somewhere here in your brain and you, you mm-hmm. keep thinking about it
0: mm-hmm. and now since everything is remote so one thing you, you suggested to do is uh, asking to take part in their meetings or maybe just uh, i don't know maybe having uh, random zoom calls at some point or whatever tool uh, we use for for meetings just have a conversation, uh, maybe a coffee
1: chat or something. Don't don't waste too much of your time because your time is is important, and you still need to to work on other stuff. But <laughs> right. yes, at least sit in their, <laughs> their chat room and see. And then if you see some something that is relevant, mm-hmm. you can always ask them to jump on a call or jump on a on a uh-huh. conversation. And then you have a trigger and you have a connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it's not that joining their meetings because I don't believe that joining for every week or every second week uh, meeting going to give you any advantage. Because mm-hmm. most of the communication runs through today through the chat rooms. Mm-hmm. And then when it arriving to the meeting, it's either already solved or it's already in the process to get solved. It's already too late or it's not relevant. You're just going to sit there and you're going to be bored and you're going to start coding or you're going to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. and You're not going to be focused. And mm-hmm. this is not what we want to call, create. We want to create a communication that is triggered based on important parts or something that happened is relevant right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clear. More clear now. So, Basically, it could be if we use Slack, it could be a Slack channel, right? That, uh, yeah. And then just looking at what kind of problems they talk about. Uh, if something is broken, then just pay attention to these kind of things. Exactly. Clear. Then moving on to your favorite topic, which is, uh, you know what?
1: <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions uh, we have is why data specialists don't like hummus, but business people do. And I think you Um, asked me to ask you this question because uh, I don't know. But I'm really curious (laughs) to (laughs) to know what you you have in mind. So yeah, why data specialists don't like hummus, but business people do?
1: Can you guess?
0: Mm, No, because I, I am as a data specialist, I do like hummus.
1: Do you? So <laughs> my, my, the reason for this question is that uh, business people most of the time looking at the very uh, end product and the very simple one. Uh, and they don't care about all the noise that goes around it. Uh, this is why they like hummus. And data engineers don't like hummus because they want to see all the details around it. And they want to, to understand how the hummus was created as well. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're not going to trust it. Uh, and this is where we're going on, on the code, right? You want to know how your hummus was created. You need to see the code that's standing behind it. And this is why I said it, but the, the reality is that we need to create this. There is love for hummus for both sides. just that each of us looking at it in a different way. Me as a business person going to look at it only on the top of like, okay, the hummus looks really good. There is chickpeas there. There is a lot of olive oil, like I like, and there is some sumac that I'm really enjoying. And the engineer will look at it in a different way he's gonna start, okay, so what is the hummus made of and how can I make it better? And this is the biggest difference uh, when we're talking to each other as well, when we're communicating. The view of the, of the data engineer or the data scientist is very deep into the understanding of what stands behind it. The businessman at the end of the day, his goal is to understand that what he sees in front of him fitting to what he needs. And he can start using it. He can eat it. He can start consuming it. And we need to, it's really important for all of us to actually remember this in, in every process that we're doing, that yes, there is looking backwards on the code and understand how it works. But there's also people that looking at the end, only on your end product, that don't see what happened behind it. And then we never maybe even understand the process. Why do you suck it for 24 hours or not for twelve? but they don't have also the experience and this is what we need to expand to them. I did it for 24 hours because I was switching water in between them. So I had 12 hours in with water that had baking powder inside it. And then I washed it and I put it for another 12 hours with a baking, uh, without the baking uh, powder. Uh, and this is causes causing the chickpeas to be softer when I'm cooking them. And we need to really, really focus on both views and use hummus as the main uh, uh, way that we're looking at stuff think always about the hummus when you're dealing with data simple as that okay
0: yeah so let's say if our company is a kitchen then the data engineer is the chief right this is the person who prepares who cooks the hummus hummus right exactly then who are the business people are they the, the visitors right so they, they are the consumers consume. Yeah. Yes, so the, yeah, so the data hummus. engineer produces a product, hummus, and then the business people, they are uh, actually visitors. They go and eat hummus and they say, oh, this is uh, delicious hummus, hummus yeah. right?
1: Oh, it's a shitty one, and then you should be ready yes. for that. You know, reviews on Google, don't lie. And I always say that in Israel, in many, many places where you go to eat hummus, you're going to go into a place that looks really, really shitty. You're gonna see dog peas on the floor around the place. It's not gonna look the most attractive one, but when you're gonna go inside, you're gonna eat the best hummus of your life. And it's because they have the same recipe for the last 50 or 60 years that they were working on and they created an experience. They understood how each ingredient that they included is changing their end dish. And me as a consumer, what I'm after is an experience that they're gonna remember. And when I'm using data, I need to remember this experience. It's not just that I'm using data. Don't just create dashboards. Don't just create more KPIs. Don't just create another forecasting. Think about what you the client will want to eat and be very, very precise in the way you're working for it. Mm.
0: Yes, which reminds me of my future, oh, sorry, ex-manager, from uh, former manager from my previous company. He's an Israeli and he suggested me uh, the best place to try hummus in Berlin, so I went to that place, and it looked super shady. Like I wasn't sure that <laughs> I want
1: to be there in that place. <laughs> Let me guess, uh, Azam? Um,
0: yeah, I don't remember. It's somewhere in um, in Pretzlauer Berg. so near Schlossau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But that was uh, a strange place. So, but hummus was delicious. So, and if then...
1: there are people in Berlin that wants to go to a really, really good place, they should try either Akko, if they want to have like a good experience, uh, or Azam, which for me is like the top of the hummus. And there is another nice place in Mita, which is called the eatery uh, It's Iranian guy, strangely enough. is making really, really good hummus. Uh, and he, he created the right experience for people.
0: Okay, we should add this to the show notes. I don't know how many people listen uh, for it from Berlin. I see one uh, Ankush, Hi Ankush. So he commented in uh, chat. I know that he's from Berlin. So yeah, if you're into hummus, Ankush, you know now where to go. And uh, yeah, so why did you call your book uh, Data is like a plate of hummus? I think I'm getting some ideas from our conversation. Uh, so this is a great metaphor, but maybe there is, a, yeah, maybe you have like a short answer to that question. Like why did you call it this way?
1: The, the, the idea behind the book was that I wanted to have a book that combining my passion to cooking and my passion for data. And I, I think that data is like cooking at the end of the day. You need to cook it the right way and you need to serve the right dish. One day in the future, maybe I will be able to actually create some uh, very nice uh, restaurant instead of working in the startup world. If anybody wants to patron me, I'm open. We can talk about that. (laughs) But uh, the idea of the book was actually that uh, let's try to simplify it for people that do not deal with data. So business people, they don't understand SQL. They don't understand data warehousing. They don't understand AWS versus Google. These views for them are very banalic of like, okay, this either this tool or this tool, tell me how much it costs and we're going to make a decision. What is the difference between Tableau and, and uh, AWS QuickSight? They they don't have this feeling. And I in my book, what I want to say is like, guys, it's really simple. If you're going to cook it correctly and you're going to follow the orders, you can create, create, create experience and this is where I'm coming from, actually trying to bridge these two different worlds into a very easy to, to process I would say
0: mm-hmm. yeah so your main uh, the main target audience for the book are the business
1: people or the tech people or both it's it's mostly for the business people but it's also for tech people who actually wants to understand a little bit better about how they should direct the business people to work so if you think about it there is a business strategy uh, that goes somewhere there and the tech is somehow involved But the problem is that the business is creating a lot of pressure on the tech side. And what I'm trying to do in my book, I'm talking about creating or forming the data strategy. So how do you actually understanding what is important and what not? And where you should put your emphasis on as a a data engineer at the end of the day, as a data scientist, is it on the models or is it on, on APIs and cleaning the data and sorting it? And the only way to achieve it is by getting the people into the understanding of there is a process. Let's, let's try to create a, a, some flow where we all agree on what we are doing and what is important and what not. And then slowly we're gonna, we're gonna increase it. But first let's, let's feel comfortable with what we do. Let's create the base. And then on top of it, we can beat whatever we want. And this is, I think, my, my main philosophy in life. Start with something that is very simple and, and stable and then build on top of it whatever models, breakouts, call it whatever you want, buildings. You won't be able to build a, a building in the middle of the river, right? You need to have a ground that you can build it on. So let's start with creating this ground, cleaning the river from the water, drying him out, and then creating the space for the building before you starting building it. And I think that this is one of the most important parts where I'm trying to talk about in my book. Mm-hmm.
0: Will I also learn how to cook hummus from the book?
1: There is a recipe, uh, my recipe there. You are more than welcome to try and let me know how it came out. Uh, Some people were complaining that uh, it was good, but not as good as they expected. But, but as I mentioned, it's really, I think it's really about the taste of people. So for example, for me, I, as I said, Azam is the top of the, of the hummus uh, uh, place in Berlin. For others, they're gonna say it's really bad hummus. They don't like it. They prefer to go someplace else and, it, and it's completely fine. It's our taste buds that at the end of the day controlling what we like and what not. And it's completely fine if we will decide to go in a different direction.
0: Okay, thanks. That was great. Um, Do you have any last words, any tips and tricks maybe you want to share more?
1: I I, just want to say one thing that I think is really, really important to know, uh, or or to to send it out there. We are living in a world that is controlled by data chaos. And we all getting underwater with the amount of requests for data that we have. And I think that we as data people our job is actually to clear this mess for people it's to educate them on the one side and on the other side is also to make them feel comfortable with data a lot of people don't use data or don't trust data and go by their guts feeling just because of simple stuff that happened in the past and they don't trust it or they now on everything that they see they're asking for 500 other Requirement just to trust the number. And our job at the end of the day is not to be the, the, uh, the sack that's getting beaten every day. It's actually to be the ones who's going there and showing people how it should be done. And we should be the leaders of the company when it's coming to growth because we are the only one. who actually can find the genes inside this entire uh, uh, surrounding of mud and, and find it out for them and, and let them grow without us, nothing gonna happen. And this is something we all need to remember. We're working in a world of chaos. And our job is to bring the light for the people and actually make sure that they were going in the right direction.
0: Okay. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, one last thing I want to ask you, how can people find you on social media?
1: Uh, you can reach out on LinkedIn, it's Lior Barak. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Leor B. Uh, this is the most uh, active places I am in. They can also check out the podcast. We're always happy to have people on there if anybody interested to come and talk about it.
0: Okay. Yeah, please send me the links. I'll put them in the description. And uh, thanks again for joining us today for to share your experience and uh, to share your passion for cooking and hummus and sharing this wonderful metaphors that... I'm sure I'm going to use next time somebody is asking why it takes so long. I That was my takeaway from this conversation. So I, I really took a note and I will use that. So thanks a lot for uh, for sharing all this with us. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's all for today. So thanks everyone for joining us and uh, watching this stream today. And I wish everyone great Friday, great rest of the day and a great weekend. And we'll see each other next week on Tuesday.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Happy Friday. Bye.